1 Thessalonians number 4. I'm excited to get into this, this area of 1 Thessalonians this morning as we continue the series, Faithful Living in Trying Times. God is teaching us throughout this course of reading this magnificent book in the New Testament about how we can be faithful even when times are so difficult and trying. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I love you. I thank you, God, for each family that's here. Uh, Lord, I thank you, God, for Jesus. Most of all, God, his death on the cross, his resurrection the third day. God, so that anyone who calls on his name could be saved. God, we thank you for salvation only found in Christ. And God, we recognize in this moment that we cannot accomplish anything of any value if you are not present with us. So God, in this moment, help us to pay attention. God, help us to learn what your word has for us this morning. And God, help us to leave here today with a life-changing truth that we can live in each day of our lives as we seek to persevere until the end. God, we love you. We thank you for Christ. And it's in his wonderful and precious name. And God's people said, Amen. You know, Advent is that time that leads up to Christmas. And the season of Advent emphasizes our anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Can you believe, and I know I'll probably say this about every year, but can you believe we are approaching that time of year again? Christmas time is coming right around the corner. How many saw the Christmas stuff already out in September? You know, I mean, it comes out earlier and earlier. It feels like each, each year. The word Advent's from a Latin word that means to come to. Often you will hear the first coming of Christ referred to as the first Advent. And you'll hear the second coming of Christ referred to as the second Advent. But sadly, in our culture, uh, Advent has become mostly forgotten. Not, not by everybody. There are some who, who still uh, observe and anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus and celebrate that fact. But most uh, in our culture uh, do not follow the season of Advent, and they allow it to be swallowed up by the consumeristic mentality of, of the world, of Christmas, a consumer mentality. You see, one of the problems with adopting the cultural view of Christmas is that it becomes just one big holiday. Isn't it true that most of us uh, allow ourselves, we, we live life and we are allowed to get basically anything we need at any time. We need it. In fact, we often get things before we need it. Somebody say amen. You know, we don't have the anticipation of saving money for that, whatever it is you're after, like we used to. Now you just charge it on a credit card, buy now, pay later. You know, we don't have to wait in our, in our culture. And this kind of mentality makes us weak Christians. Because one of the fundamental aspects of the Christian faith is patience and waiting. We're to wait patiently for God to act. And how many understand this truth today that God does not act according to our timetable? He acts according to His. We have to wait for Him to fulfill His promises. And this is a great struggle for most that are here this morning because we rarely have to wait for anything in our culture today. And this attitude has a direct impact on our spiritual lives. We're going to see that this morning. This is why it's so important for us to understand the significance of the season of Advent. 
anticipation of the coming Lord. You see, Advent highlights the hope that we have in Christ. And the Lord comes to us. We have hope in His coming, and He comes to us in several ways. The Lord came to us in the incarnation. How many believe that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary? He comes to us in the incarnation. He also comes to us individually. As we gather for worship, the presence of God is here. He's with us in our individual lives. He speaks to us through His Word. Then the Lord also comes to us at the end of the age when He will make all things new. How many believe this morning that Jesus is coming again? He is coming again. See, the purpose of Advent is to remind us of Christ's first coming and to help us remember that He's going to keep His promise and come again to judge evil and wickedness in the world and to deliver His church. This is the focus this morning of the section that we find ourselves in in 1 Thessalonians. The second advent of Christ. Paul explains the second advent of Christ and he gives us hope in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of the trials we face in life. He gives us hope in this passage as we confidently wait for Christ to return. I've titled the message today, The Coming of Christ, Our Consolation. Now I want to give a word of caution before we get into this. Growing up in a pastor's home, I was witness to the extremes that uh, Christians go to in regarding this doctrine of the Christian faith, the second t- coming of Christ. Uh, eschatology, if you don't know what that is, it's the study of end times. Eschatology has always been a hot topic amongst the church, amongst Christians, much talked about, much debated. Uh, when we hear earthquakes and floods and disasters in the world and pandemics and wars and so forth, excitement begins to happen in our lives. Sermons are formulated and preached about the possibility that Christ could come uh, very soon. Uh, some were excited at the possibility, uh, they become excited at the possibility of seeing prophecy fulfilled. And some are fearful uh, when they see these things happen because a lot of it is based on the most news, uh, recent news report. And they attempt to try to figure out what it means for Christ's coming. Now listen very carefully to what I'm about to to encourage us all to do this morning. We must be very careful that our study does not begin with the news report. With the news report from the Middle East, but we must begin at the Bible. We must get our knowledge from the Word of God. You see, propaganda is used to deceive the masses. Fake reports that are put out to get you to feel a certain way. That's what actually, that happens all the time. Satan is a deceiver. He wants to deceive us. Look, our foundation must and always be the Word of God, the Bible, when we confront the issues of life. When we look to the Bible, we discover the wonderful truth of the promised return of Christ. The second advent is not something that needs to be figured out by reading the news report, but the coming of Christ is a cherished truth that provides comfort and encouragement for every believer here in this life of struggle. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Let's notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be uh, with the Lord. Uh, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Somebody say, Amen. Aren't you thankful for verses 13 through 18 that we have in our Bibles inspired of the Holy Spirit? This brings great comfort to us. The second coming of Christ should impact every day of your life as a believer. And we're going to see that today. How do we have comfort even in the struggle? How is the coming of Christ our consolation even when life is so difficult and challenging and trying? Uh, I believe that I'm looking at a people today, you came in here, and I think most of us, if not all of us, are carrying something that's hard, something that's heavy, something that's difficult to walk through in our lives. You ever been there? We face difficult things in life, do we not? I'm telling you, this message will be life-changing for you if you allow God's truth to permeate your heart and mind. You will be able to live each day with peace and joy and hope, even when life is a struggle, life is challenging. I want you to notice three things the coming of Christ does for us. The first thing is this. The coming of Christ gives us confidence. The coming of Christ gives us confidence. Look again at verse 13. It says this. I just flipped back several pages in my Bible. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Would you agree with this statement that no one likes uncertainty? No one likes uncertainty. We like to know what the plans are. Um, I would say I'm looking at people today. Most of us do not fly by the seat of our pants. (laughs) We, We like to plan things out, put things on the calendar. We don't like uncertainty. My kids will often ask me, they're young. My young children will often, what are we doing tomorrow? They want to know what the plan is. Uh, Often that involves, you know, how much are they going to get to eat tomorrow? You know how that goes. You know, they want to know what the plan is. No one likes uncertainty. We need to know the plan. And when you look at the second advent of Christ, listen, it provides information for you and for me about the future, what the plans are. Notice the first part of verse 13 again, what he says. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. Paul does not want us, the church, to be confused about the future. We know that God's not the author of confusion. And how many are seeing and witnessing today there's so much confusion in the world today. Paul does not want the church confused about what the future holds for the believer. You see, God's in control of history. And He's taken everything we see in the world, He's formulating and taking everything to an to a end goal, if you will. And I want you to notice a couple of encouraging thoughts we see here. Hey, I want you to write this down with all caps if you're taking notes this morning. As a believer... I know how this story ends. As a believer, I know how this story ends. Now, let's be sure we don't take this for granted. But think about the knowledge we have as followers of Christ because of the Word of God. We know how things play out. We know how this story ends. In the midst of whatever you're going through right now, in the midst of whatever you're facing, no matter how heavy or how hard, Listen, remind yourself today that I know how this plays out. I know how this story ends. You, I know what the future holds. 
Now listen to me. Contextually, the Apostle Paul, what did he have in mind here? He's specifically addressing the concern of those that he is talking to about those who are asleep, who have died in Christ. He's specifically addressing that concern with the church about believers who have died. Paul doesn't want us to be confused about our loved ones who are now with the Lord. Because they're part of God's plan as well. We see that in our text. They're part of God's future plan also. Look, we know how this story ends. The second encouraging thought here as we have is this, is we can live with hope. Believers can live with hope. Notice again, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest, watch, who have no hope. I think it's often because we've heard this verse so often in the church, and we often hear this this passage of Scripture at a funeral. We're so familiar with verse 13 that I often think we take it for granted. We must be careful not to do that this morning. The statement that Paul makes is very important. I want you to use your imagination with me and let's put ourselves uh, in the first century with these Christians. Let's sit there and think about it, maybe try our best to think about it the way they would. Living only 20 years or so after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And perhaps we sit there, uh, first century believers, we think Jesus is going to return. But then we see the people we love start to die. They get sick. Or maybe they die tragically. They're fellow followers of Christ. This starts to trouble us. Uh, This was not how we thought the end was going to come for the believers. So Paul helps us out. He says, look, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I'm going to ask you a question. Let's be honest together this morning. Who here today has a loved one that that is now with the Lord? You know they're in heaven. Hands all over the place. All over the place. We have loved ones who are now in heaven with the Lord at this very moment while I'm talking to you. And I want you to notice a couple of things that Paul teaches us because it's hard when a loved one passes away. That time of separation is difficult. Death is the most unnatural thing we ever deal with in life. Because God did not intend for death to happen. It happened as a result of sin. And so death is so unnatural to us. It never gets easier. As a pastor, when I'm with someone when they die, it never gets easier. It's never something you just get used to. Death is a terrible existence that we have as a result of sin. And Paul encourages us and he encourages the Christians there who had loved ones who had died, who are now with the Lord, who had fallen asleep, the term he uses, in Christ. Hey, and I'll stop here and say this and remind us. Hey, when your loved one passed, when my nine-year-old little boy passed, not once did I ever tell him goodbye. Just see you later. Somebody say amen. Because they're with the Lord. One day we will be reunited. We see that in our text. And Paul gives us a couple of encouraging thoughts here. Write this down. It is right for a Christian to grieve. It is right for a Christian to grieve. You see, when you love much, you grieve much. You see, grief is a reminder that we have loved someone very much. And how many understand when you love somebody much, the blessing and the gift from Almighty God that is. 
Grief is a reminder that we love much. Look, it's right for a Christian to grieve. Paul tells us that in the text. There's nothing wrong with a Christian grieving. Sometimes Christians will think, man, there's something wrong with me because I'm sad and, I, and I'm emotional and I'm having these moments throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. It doesn't seem to get easier. They think something's wrong with them. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing wrong with you. You loved much, therefore you're grieving much. And Paul says it is right for you to grieve. These Christians he's writing to in the text were grieving. He says, we don't grieve, however. Now listen, as those who have no hope. Could you imagine being lost and not knowing Christ? Can you imagine what the lost community goes through when, some, when someone dies and, the, and the, the inner torment that is? I can't imagine doing this life without Jesus. All of the things I face in this life, I just can't seem to, I can't wrap my mind around going through this life on my own, trying to figure it out, trying to go through the hard seasons without Christ. He says, look, it's right for a Christian to grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Therefore, here it is. And write this down. My grief must be in the context of the hope of the gospel. When I grieve, my grief must be in the context of the hope of the gospel. You see, we don't respond to death the way the culture does. We don't respond to death the way those outside of Christ does. We respond differently. During the painful moments of grief, we respond, we exhibit hope even in those moments of grief, even in those moments of tears and sadness and missing our loved one, we exhibit hope because we know they are with Christ. We know they are with the Lord. And I'll stop here to say this. I often say this at funerals. But look, the greatest thing you can leave your family, listen very carefully to me, the greatest thing you leave your family, listen, it's, it's not your boat or your house or, or your, your financial uh, 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 security that you leave your family. That's the greatest thing. No, that's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing you leave behind to your family, your kids, your children, your grandchildren, is them knowing that my mom, my dad, my granddad, my grandmom was a person of faith that they trusted, they loved Jesus. The greatest thing you leave your family is your testimony of faith in Christ. Hey, look, don't leave your family wondering when you pass, when you die, where you're at. Don't leave them wondering. You make sure they know that you are with the Lord because of your faith and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing we leave our families. Paul says, look, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It's right to grieve. We grieve in the context of the gospel. Paul gives us the basis for our hope. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. What is the basis for the hope that the believer has? That you and I, can I ask everyone here this morning, do you believe that Jesus bore the wrath of God and died on the cross for the sins of the world? Do you believe that? All right, do you believe he died for your sins, died for mine, died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day, that he came back to life, and he's forever seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe that? That is the basis for the hope that we have. If we truly believe that, if we have committed our lives to that, entrusted our eternal destiny to Christ, that's what the word believe means. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Boy, that's a wonderful verse. That means your family and mine. He will bring with him those who are with Christ, those who've died in the faith. That means we will be reunited with them. Hey, look, the glory of heaven is Jesus. Oh, but a magnificent reality is that I'll be reunited with my family who's there. Hey, the Lord knows that. That's why he, the Holy Spirit inspired, inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words. 
to give believers great hope and great comfort even in their grief. In that verse, it's interesting. Did you notice how Paul connects the first advent, the first coming of Christ, with the second coming of Christ? He came, he died, was buried, rose again. And he will come again and bring those with him who have fallen asleep in Christ. I want you to notice, secondly, look, the coming of Christ gives us confidence. The coming of Christ gives us certainty. Look at verse 14 again. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. But the coming of Christ gives us clarity. I have a friend of mine uh, who was, he, he's Church of God, and we were talking about 1 Thessalonians 4. And he said, brother, he said, I see Baptists in Scripture. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, it said the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> Some of you are starting to get it. I said, well, brother, I said, those who are alive remain. <laughs> we, had a little fun, we had a little fun talking about that passage, joking around with one another. But Paul, in our text, he tells us, he teaches us that the coming of Christ gives us clarity, gives us clarity. Paul clarifies that, the, the, uh, that w- what will take place when Jesus returns, the events that will take place. I want you to look at verse 14 again, but I want you to read it. Now listen, let's read it. Again, using our imaginations, what it would have been like to be sitting in Thessalonica hearing these words from the Apostle Paul. For if we believe, put yourself there, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Can you imagine being a grieving Christian? Things are not making sense to you. In your mind, like I'm starting to see believers die physically. Jesus was supposed to come back. We had held on to that and people start dying. Imagine hearing these words for the first time from the Apostle Paul. Is it possible, some might be sitting there thinking, is it possible that, is it possible that Paul is saying that Christians who are currently dead will be raised from the dead and will come back with Jesus? This is exactly, <laughs> this is exactly what he's saying. This is the truth of what he is saying. He continues and tells us that we will join in this resurrection. Look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the Lord By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Who would agree today? This is awesome. Great news. That should excite us every day of our lives. I'm glad a couple of you are excited. It's excellent news to know that Christ is coming again. If I live until that day, I'm not going to prevent those or precede those who've fallen asleep. I'm going to be changed like they are. I'm going to be a participator, not a spectator. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, I'll stop right here and say this. Daddy used to always say growing up, our church was next to a cemetery. He used to always say, man, it would be a great place to be in a cemetery when the Lord comes back. Just grab somebody's foot on the way up. You know? Some of you are going to try that, I believe. It says, those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And watch, and we will always be with the Lord. Look, what gives clarity about the second advent is the sequence of events that Paul's describing. Christians will die before Jesus returns. We know that. Believers who died will come back with Jesus at the second coming. They are with Him. They are going to return with Christ. The Lord Himself, it says, will return. The Master of the universe will return. He's not sending someone else to come get us. He's going to come get us. In John 14, it's a fulfillment of His promise. When He told the disciples, when they were troubled, when they were discouraged, when they were depressed, He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. How many believe today we can take Jesus' promise to the bank? He hadn't lied to you, hadn't lied to me. He's coming back. The Lord Himself will come back. So that where he is there, we will be also. Paul tells us that when the Lord returns, he's going to raise the dead first. Then those who are alive will ascend to the Lord. After that is accomplished, we will always be with Christ. Our toil, our hurt, our sadness, our relational tensions, our financial struggles will all come to an end. Somebody say glory to God. Death will be no more. Hospitals, funeral homes, all of those things will be in our past, will be in our rearview mirror, never to be visited again. We will always be with the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords for all eternity. And we'll spend all eternity getting to know who Jesus is and learning about Him, enjoying our new existence with our loved ones on the new earth as Christ dwells with us. He's coming back to make all things new, church. Can I tell you something? Heaven's not some mystical fairy tale land. Maybe some here believe that today. It's not some not mystical fairy tale land or some crutch that Christians lean on just to try to give them some superficial type of hope when life is hard. Heaven is a literal, physical, spiritual place that believers will spend all eternity with Christ. And the Bible says that eternity is going to be settled on the new earth, the earth that has been made new by the Lord Jesus when He comes and He wipes out evil. He wipes out wickedness in all the nations. He comes and sets it up right here. When you go outside, you've heard me say it many times, but don't miss it. When you go outside, you try to imagine it all in its perfection. Imagine creation in its perfect beauty. No more dead flowers or weeds. Uh, no more gnats. Somebody say amen. Hey, no more stink bugs. Hallelujah. And no more death or sickness. When you walk out these doors and you stand there for a moment just observing the almighty creator, what he has done, you get a glimpse, a small glimpse, as much as our finite minds can comprehend. You get a small glimpse of what your eternity and mind's going to look like. How many thankful we're not going to be floating on clouds playing a harp? Somebody say amen. That's our existence one day. Look, this should provide great clarity for the future. For the Bible tells us what will take place. Look, I know there's a lot going on in the world right now. 
I know that there are things as Christians that will be that are concerning. Things that can create some fear. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel who are under attack. Hey, we need to pray for those in Palestine, Hamas, Hezbollah. How dare you say we pray for those people? The Bible tells me to pray for my enemies. We need to pray for all involved. We need to pray for our country because America is slowly getting involved in this conflict. I know these things are troubling. I know it stirs our heart to try to figure out what's going on. Is the Bible speaking directly to these things? And look, I, I'm not against. I'm not against asking questions and research. I'm not against those things. Please don't take me the wrong way. But let me tell you this. Don't miss this. Don't get so focused on trying to figure out all the details of the end of the world. You live in this truth that Jesus is coming again. We don't have to figure that out. We don't have to, to, to do a whole lot of research to figure out this fact that Jesus is coming again. Church, this is all the certainty we need. We're not going to figure it out. Jesus is coming again. That's enough for me to live every day in confidence and with clarity. I want you to notice number three. The coming of Christ not only gives confidence and clarity, but the coming of Christ gives comfort. Look at verse 18. Paul encourages the church. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. The reason Paul explains these events to the Christians is for the sake of providing comfort for those whose loved ones had died. Again, in context, he's speaking to Christians who have had loved ones who have died in Christ. He doesn't want us or them to be uninformed because he wants us to be comforted. His words are meant to strengthen their faith and our faith and provide hope. And hope is the basis for comfort. Everyone in this room struggles at times with faith, obedience, assurance. Sometimes we struggle to do what's right and we struggle doing what's wrong. But we forget that we have been so influenced by the gospel that, listen, even when I'm struggling... Even when, as Paul described in Romans 7, I'm not doing the things that I should be doing, the things I shouldn't be doing, that's what I'm doing. Even when I'm in that kind of struggle in my life, when I'm not being obedient like I should, we've been so influenced by the gospel, we live with hope. We live with a constant sense of hope and certainty. The pagans of Paul's time had no way to comfort each other in the face of death because they had no hope. Listen to the hopelessness in this statement by Theocritus. Hope It's for the living, for the dead have no hope, he said. Or consider a second century letter written by an Egyptian lady named Irene to a grieving couple as they faced the death of their son. After explaining they had done everything they can in those circumstances, she concludes her letter this way, but nevertheless, against such things one can do nothing. Therefore, comfort one another, farewell. She ends with the same words that the Apostle Paul, comfort one another, uses here. But it's an empty comfort she offers. It's not grounded in hope. You see, only the gospel provides comfort for the living because the dead have hope in the coming of Christ. That is the practical and the pastoral benefit of the second advent when we see it in light of the gospel. We have hope, church, because of the gospel. We live comforted because of the gospel. In my study this week, I come across the word Maranatha. It was an expression that means our Lord comes. It was used as a greeting in the early church. When believers gathered or parted, they didn't say hello or goodbye, but they said Maranatha. 
Would you agree if we had the same upward look today, things would radically change in the church? If we had a deepening awareness of the return of Christ, things would change. While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island promising that he would return. True story. Later, when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked his way. But suddenly, as if by a miracle, an avenue opened in the ice, and Shackleton was able to get through, was able to get through. His men, all ready and waiting, quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed together behind them. Contemplating the narrow escape, the explorer said to his men, It was fortunate you were packed and ready to go. They replied, We never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, The boss may come today. The hymn writer Horatius Bonar exhorted us to be ready, listen to what he said, to be ready for the last moment by being ready at every moment. Be ready at the last moment by being ready at every moment. So attending to every duty, he continues, that let him come when he may, he finds the house in perfect order awaiting his return. You see, the trumpet may sound at any time, but you agree it's important for Christians, for you and for me, to be packed and ready to go. As you leave today, maybe don't say goodbye to one another. Maybe say Maranatha. Our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. I invite you to stand together this morning for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, the power in these verses, God. I pray that in some way today, Lord, as we have looked at this, Lord, I've done my best to preach these verses as you've led us to them in this study. And God, I pray today we would live with confidence and clarity and comfort because of the second coming of Christ. Lord, I pray it changes every day of our lives. I pray today has been a reminder that we will continue to remember for the rest of our lives that Jesus is coming again. God, forgive us for getting so wrapped up in the, in the news and the details of the culture. Lord, that we often miss this fact that we live in, that Jesus is coming. God, help us to be wise in these days. Lord, help us to use our time well and wise, uh, Lord, to reach people with the gospel and to represent Jesus well to those that we come into contact with because, God, time could be very short because we know Jesus is coming. And, God, I'm thankful that Jesus died for all. I'm thankful that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. God, we love you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment, what's God doing in your heart this morning? What's God doing in your heart? Did you come today troubled, worried, fearful, carrying a lot? Today, would you allow the second coming of Christ to comfort you, to bring peace to your soul again? Would you live in this truth? Like, I don't know what you're going through, church, but I invite you during this time of invitation as they lead us today. I invite you, if you want to gather around this altar, the altar is open, but I invite you to spend some time in prayer right now with your Heavenly Father. Give God praise for the second coming of Christ, this promise that will be fulfilled. Thank God for it and the peace and the hope it brings, the comfort it brings to you. I invite you to come this morning. If you don't know Christ, you say, I I don't know that heaven's my home. I invite you to follow Jesus today. Would you repent and believe the gospel? 
Would you repent of your sin and entrust your eternal destiny to Christ? He's the only one that can save you. And you can do it right there where you stand. You can commit your life to Him now. Look after the service. If you have questions about following Jesus, I would love to stay around and talk to you and answer those questions. But I invite you to follow Him before it's eternally too late. He loves you. He invites you into a relationship with Him. He wants you to serve Him and live for Him. And He will enable you to do all that, but you've got to surrender to Him. Repent and believe the gospel today. Father, help us in this moment to be obedient. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to come as Eric leads us. time we've had of reflection. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. I invite you to be seated just for a moment. We have someone today who's following the Lord in believer's baptism.